God put me in Romans 8 there last week, and we preached two messages. Last Sunday morning, I preached on freedom from judgment. I'm glad there is now, therefore, no condemnation. And then I preached last Sunday evening on freedom from defeat out of verses 5 through 7. This morning, I want to preach, if the Lord would help us for a little while, on freedom from discouragement. Let's begin our reading in verse 18. Paul says, For I reckon that the the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject unto vanity, not willing but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he, hath, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did know, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might by the first, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd touch us this morning. I believe today, Lord, that you want to do a work in hearts. That's exactly what I want to see done today. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd move in this service. God, I pray that you'd encourage the discouraged. Do that, Lord, now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Discouragement. Paul enters into a section here in Romans 8 where he deals with suffering. Did you know suffering is one thing that's common to all of mankind? I'll give you a quote this morning that you probably thought you would not get on a Sunday morning from the preacher. 
but standing next to the graveside in the movie Lonesome Dove, old Gus says, bet you never thought you'd get a Gus quote this morning. He says, life's tough, harder on some than others. And that's always stuck with me. When things that happen, I'd think to myself, boy, life's tough. It's harder on some than others. Suffering is something that's common to everybody. Everyone suffers. And the problem with it is not so much the suffering, but it's the discouragement that comes from it. I don't believe I've ever lived in a time, I'm 45, and I don't believe I've ever seen a time where there was so much discouragement. Seemed like everybody's down. Seemed like everybody dragging. I began to think about the subject of discouragement. You know, the story is told. Of course, it's a, it's a fable that the devil one day decided he was going to sell all his tools. And he took them to a public market and he put all his tools out on the table. Except there was one strange looking tool and on it he wrote, not for sale. Somebody came up to the devil and said, why you got that one tool marked not for sale? He said, oh, I can't give up that tool. He said, it's my greatest tool in all my toolbox. It's a little thing called discouragement. He said, with the tool of discouragement, I can get into the heart that, that otherwise would not allow me in. And I can plant in that heart things that will cause trouble for them for years to come. He said, discouragement is the one thing that I can use against every Christian. I love the tool of discouragement. I got to thinking about that. Have y'all ever watched any of them uh, National Geographic shows or Animal Planet shows where the lion chases down the gazelle? You know, at the beginning, when the lion takes off after the gazelle, the, ga- the gazelle's faster. It takes off and it looks like, you know, that lion and he's never going to catch that gazelle, but he runs it and he runs it and he runs it and it always ends the same. That old gazelle staggering around. He's got that thousand yard stare, tongue held out the side of his mouth, head down, and the lion's moving in for the kill. They call that the dance of death right before that lion pounces on that gazelle. And you know what it is? It's that the lion has defeated the will of that gazelle to carry on. And his head's down and he, he's staggering and he just can't, he can't go on any farther. You know, I see a, a lot of Christians, not just at our church, but at every church, that seems like they're like a gazelle that the lion has run all week long. They come into the church house and they're doing the dance of death. They've just got the staggers. Their head's down. Their gaze is fixed. They're discouraged. They're defeated. Their will is defeated. Can I say to you this morning that some of the greatest men in the Bible faced some of the greatest discouragements. Elijah was probably the greatest prophet. But we find him out underneath the juniper tree downright suicidal. He said, Lord, just take me on out of here. Moses and David, both great men, would you agree with me? And yet many times they despaired for their lives. They were so down and out, they didn't want to live to see another day. I think about Charles Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. 
But they said Brother Marvin, he would become so discouraged that his deacons often on Sunday morning would have to go to his office and beg him to come out to preach. He was so down, he didn't even want to see the people. Him pastoring a church with thousands of people in it, doing one of the greatest works in London, and yet they had to beg him to come out to preach. He was that discouraged. Discouragement affects everybody. I almost feel like a hypocrite preaching this message this morning. I was thinking about it last night. I thought, Lord, you want me to preach on discouragement? And I've been one of the most discouraged fellers in the world for the last year. Seems like I, I just can't get, I get encouraged about things and then just this nagging feeling of discouragement. I was reading the book. Now, I'm just trying to help you. This may not be, this may not be preaching like you norm, like I normally do, but I think it'll help you because here's what the Lord showed me. He said, if what I showed you will help you, then guess what? It'll help others too. Right. And if it'll help you not be discouraged, then it'll help other people not be discouraged. I was reading a book. I've been reading a book by Bill Walsh who coached the San Francisco 49ers during their three Super Bowl titles. He wrote a book called The Score Will Take Care of Itself. It's phenomenal. And I've been reading that book, and he talks about the end of his career. And here's what he said. He said, it got to where winning was expected of me. And he said, you know, in the beginning, he said, when I'd win, he said, boy, we were all happy and we were shouting and high-fiving one another. But he said, it got to the place where winning for me was just an absence of losing. He said, I really wasn't even happy I won. He said, I was just glad I didn't lose. He said, it was just a relief that I didn't lose. And boy, isn't that a terrible way? And some of you know that rings true with some of y'all. Because it rung true with me when I read it. I went, whoa, that speaks to my heart. Because I know what he's talking about. I've never coached a professional football team, but I know what life's like. And at one time, when we had victories around the church, boy, I felt like, whoo, hallelujah, like we could be in jubilation mode. But if you ain't careful, you'll get in life to the place where you're no longer uh, joyful over winning. You're just glad you didn't lose. Uh, and I'm telling you, that's a place of discouragement. So everybody's got it. Everybody's got it. So the question is, how can we get past it? You say, preacher, well, if everybody suffers, and if everybody has discouragement, then how is it that we can live victoriously over it? I mean, really, that's where we need to get, right? We talk about somebody getting victory over drug addiction, getting saved and getting victory over their drug addiction. Hallelujah! Somebody gets victory over this sin or that sin. But how about victory over discouragement? Oh, can I give you one more? What if I told you I believe... During his earthly ministry, I believe Christ got discouraged. Just so you don't feel, you know, like the Lone Ranger being all down. You know what the Lord did? When he looked over Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How oft would I have gathered you as a hen doth her brood? But you would not. Now, if that's not words of discouragement, he discouraged. But there is a way. And this has helped me, and maybe it'll help you. There is a way not to get rid of your discouragement. How many of you like to have a magic wand? Yeah. Whoosh, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, no more discouragements. 
You know, we're going we're gonna to go through life, no problems. All of us need that, right? But that's not life. Life is full of troubles. Life is full of heartaches for the saved people, for the lost people, for everybody. So the trick is figuring out how we can get victory over it. How can we live victorious over discouragements? Well, let's think about it. Three times in the scriptures that I just read you, you'll find the word groan. That's interesting. Out of all the words, groan. Did you notice it? Groan. You know what it is to groan, right? That's mentioned three times right here in the... And the subject suffering. Now, if the word groan is mentioned three times, must be some significance to it. It's not a typical Bible word. So I want us to look at those three groans. And I will try to help you this morning. Number one, let's notice the groan of creation. Look at verse 18. And the Bible says there in verse number 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption under the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain Together until now. So I want us to think about how there is a groaning of creation. God's creation. Now when God made the world, you know what he said? He said it was a good creation. But you know what it is now? It's a groaning creation. Look how he describes it in these verses. He says it's suffering in verse 18. Vanity in verse 20. Bondage in verse 21. Corruption in verse 21. And pain in verse 22. He said that's, that's how he describes this world. It's down and out. It's pain. It's corruption. It's bondage. I want you to think just a moment about the cause of this groaning. The Bible says in Genesis 3, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened, unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten the tree which I have commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat all of the days of thy life. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying creation was cursed by sin. You know why there's sorrow? You know why there's trouble? You know why creation is groaning? The reason is because sin has cursed this planet. Through no fault of its own, this planet is suffering under the curse of sin. Now, let me give you something. Listen to me now. I read an article from the summer of 2020. It was in a magazine called Earth and Island Journal. That sounds like a good biblical magazine, right? The Earth and Island Journal. It's an interview with Dr. Aaron Bernstein. I'm sure he's an atheist. That the title of the interview, Brother Marvin, is this. Is nature trying to tell us something? I read that article and the whole time I was going, Whoa, boy. Dr. Bernstein says that these viruses that have come into the world, it's 
proof that that nature is trying to tell us something. He says climate climate change is proof that nature is trying to tell us something. It's almost like nature is moaning under the stress. Uh, boy, I taught myself not a big difference between the word moaning and groaning. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you, even scientists can look out at this world and say, Boy, there's a lot of groaning going on. Uh, there's a lot of moaning going on. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, that's the way the Lord said it would be in the last day. Uh, he said when you get down toward the end, even nature itself's going to be groaning uh, and moaning and begging for redemption. Uh, I'm telling you, that's where we're living at this morning. Nature is groaning out. Nature's discouraged. And it's groaning. Now notice what he says. We see the cause of the groaning is sin, but then the completion of the groaning. Look what Paul said in verse 22. This is so interesting to me. Look what he said. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You see that word travaileth? It's almost exclusively used in your King James Bible for a labor term. It means that a lady is about to bring forth a baby when that word travaileth is used. So you know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying in the last of the last days, the earth, creation, is going to be groaning. Viruses popping up everywhere, volcanoes going off, earthquakes, uh, uh, storms everywhere, uh, climate change. He said the earth is going to be groaning. But he said, really, that groaning is a travailing. In other words, there's a baby coming. <laughs> In other words, there's a change on the way. When you see the groaning and when you see the travailing, the earth is about to change. Uh, can I report to you this evening or this morning, thank God, this earth is headed for a change. Uh, there's coming a redemption day for the earth. Uh, I'm glad to tell you that the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Uh, thank God the church is going to be with the Lord and during that seven years of tribulation, uh, God is going to start to cleanse, cleanse this planet. And after that, there's going to be a millennial reign and when the millennial reign comes the groaning is going to be over hallelujah hey right now this earth is groaning and moaning under the pressure and travailing but there's a better day coming let me tell you about that millennial reign at the second coming the covenants will be fulfilled with all of Israel They'll be regathered from all the nations according to Matthew 24. They'll be con converted according to Zechariah 12 and restore and return to the land under the rule of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us about the conditions of the millennial reign. It'll be a time of peace according to Micah 4 and Isaiah 32. It'll be a time of joy according to Isaiah 61 and a time of comfort according to Isaiah 40. Oh, this world's headed for a change. The Bible tells us that only believers will enter the millennial kingdom. And because of this, it'll be a time of obedience, according to Jeremiah 31. Holiness, according to Isaiah 35. Truth, according to Isaiah 65. The knowledge of God, according to Habakkuk 2. And Christ will rule as king, according to Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11. Nobles and governors will rule with Christ, according to Matthew 19. 
and Jerusalem will be the political center of the world according to Zechariah 8. You see this world right now is groaning and moaning, but there's better day coming, child of God. This, uh, this old sin-cursed planet ain't going to be like this forever. Uh, right now it's full of discouragements. Uh, right now it's full of death and trouble and trial. Uh, I'm glad, thank God, for the people of God. Uh, there's coming a better day on this planet. Uh, hey, it's going to be a new earth one of these days. Uh, so right now uh, the earth is groaning. The earth is discouraged. Uh, but there's a better day coming. So we see the groaning of creation. But then in these verses, verses 23 through 25, we see the groaning of the Christian. Look what he said. Look what he said, verse 23. He says there, and not only they, but ourselves also. So Paul said, just like like the earth is groaning, we're groaning. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So Paul said, just like creation is growing, Groaning. The Christians are groaning. That's how some of y'all feel this morning. It's hard to put in words how you feel. If I gave you a paper and a pencil and I said, write down how you feel, you'd struggle to say it. But if you could put a sound to it, it'd just be, it's groaning. It's under the pressure. Well, Paul said in the last days, that's how it'd be. Scroning. Now, why is it that we groan? Let's look at, we'll see what he said. First of all, look at the appreciation we have in verse 23. Look what he said there. He said there in verse 23, but ourselves also, which have... The first fruits of the Spirit. So what happens when you get saved is you get the first fruits of the Spirit. That is, you get the Spirit of God on the inside. And if the Spirit of God's not on the inside, you're none of His. But when the Spirit of God gets on the inside, Brother Neil, you get a taste of the glory of God. And it causes you, it actually causes you to grow. Because what happens is when you have an experience with God and you have a taste of that Spirit of God and you got the first fruits of God, when you see the trouble and cares and terribleness of this world, you have a desire like Paul. Paul said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. He said, I have a desire to, re- to depart and to be with Christ. And I'm telling you, the older I get and the more of God I feel in my heart, Brother Marvin, the better heaven looks, the sweeter the other side seems. Amen. I've got that first fruit of the Spirit welling up inside of me and it makes me groan. I got a desire to be where He is and be with Him. 
Amen. And be in that glorified body uh, and be in that heavenly home. Uh, that's part of the reason we grow. It's because we know there's a better day. So they said we groan because we got the first fruits of the Spirit. See, you and I understand things that the world don't understand. And it becomes real to us. It becomes real to us. There's this appreciation we have. But then there's the expectation we have. Look what he said, verse 24. He said there in verse number 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what, we, what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I'll tell you how my old mind works with me. I'm talking about discouragement. The other day, I just got to thinking about, ah, uh, how old am I? How old was my daddy when I was, when, when, when I was a little kid? How old is my daddy now? How old was my grandparents when I was, when my daddy was my age? Well, my grandparents are gone. I got to thinking about death and not just my death, but family and everything. And boy, I got so discouraged, I couldn't hardly look up. I thought, well, everybody's dying. We all going to die. But you know the hope that I was able to hold on to, and this is really the key to getting over discouragement. Paul told us. He said, they just patiently wait in hope. It came to me just that quickly. The Lord said, yeah, but I might come back before then. Uh, yeah, but the rapture might happen before any of that takes place. Uh, yeah, but I might. Hey, you know why a saint of God can be sitting on the side of a bedside with a diagnosis of cancer facing a certain death and still have a smile on their face? It's because they have a hope that is beyond this world. The devil wants us to focus on what's happening here. But God said, for the groaning child of God, there's a better day coming. There's a day out there. And it ain't going to be like it is around here no more. It's a better day. And that's the hope that give us victory over discouragement. If you look around here, you'll be discouraged. But if you'll look toward heaven, Paul said, but we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Oh yeah, child of God, right now is a groaning time. Now I'm looking out some of y'all. You're discouraged. Brother Marvin, and I hope you don't mind me tell this, but before, before the service over in the prayer room, he was asking prayer for his family. And he said, sometimes I feel like I've let them down. I feel like I could have done more. I feel like I maybe should have been a better witness. I feel responsible. You know what I told him? I feel that a hundred times over. When we lose people, I always feel like it's my fault. Always feel like it's my fault. And I always think, I could have done better. I, I should have said more. I... I should have preached this way. And so over the years of 25 years of pastoring, we've gained a lot, but we've lost a lot. And all of those people still weigh on me. Sometimes I think about people we lost 15, 20 years ago. And it weighs on me. 
I'll blame myself. The devil loves for you to play that game. Mom and dad, I know some of you have got kids that are out of church. The devil loves for you to play the game of, well, it's my fault. I should have, I could have, I wished I would have. The devil loves that game. Because the longer you play that game, the more your head goes down, and the more like that wore-out gazelle you feel. Until the point that you walk in church, and now the devil's got you to the place where it's like, what's the use? What's the use? You know one thing that really bothers me? And I, I hope what I'm about to say, some of y'all going to understand. A lot of times when the devil talks to me, he sounds like me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. He sounds like me. Because he's saying things like, why don't you just quit? You're not helping nobody. You're a failure. You're a total loser. Why don't you just throw in the towel and quit? Why don't you just give up? You ain't helping nobody. Now to some of y'all, none of this may make any sense, but to some of you, you're, you're getting what I'm preaching. It's the words of discouragement. But when the devil gets to riding on you and gets to taking you down that road, how can we get victory over it? Well, it's right here in this verse. We hope for that that we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it. So what the Lord said is don't look at the circumstance. You want to get over discouragement, you're going to have to quit looking at the people. I'm going to admit to you. This week I started getting text, 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 text. So I ain't going to be our Sunday preacher. And I don't blame anybody for not being here because, you know, you got to have vacations. you got to go do things. I understand all that. I'm not preaching to... I'm not preaching about that. But what I'm saying is, as a pastor, I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And yesterday I'm praying and I'm thinking, I said, Lord, I don't even want to go tomorrow either. Maybe I'll go to Pigeon Forge. Maybe I'll go to Myrtle Beach. I don't know. But the Lord come to me and he said, are you there for them people? Are you there for me? Amen. 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 You know what I say a lot of times, Frank? I'll say, well, I can't help those that ain't here. Right? I got to focus on them that, ain't, that are here. But you know what the Lord showed me today? While I was preaching on the radio, He said, don't even focus on them that are here. Focus on me. Amen. It don't matter who is here or who ain't here. Focus on me. Amen. Am, I, am I getting through? Amen. You see, we got to lift our, high, our eyes up to a higher plane. Amen. I mean, we all woke up this morning in the same world with the same problems and the same leaders. And if we look at that and think about that and all the problems and the heartaches, boy, we're going to be discouraged. 
But here's what the Lord said. He said there's some things you can't see. The best is yet to come. There's a heaven out yonder. Don't get all, don't get all tangled up in the cares of the world. There's a better day coming. I know you've heard the story. The little girl that had the all kinds of health troubles. She would sit at the table. Mom would bring out salad. She'd eat the salad and hold on to her fork. Mom would bring out the meal. She'd eat the meal and hold on to her fork. One day, the preacher came over to visit and said, Why are you holding on to that fork? Meal's over. She said, uh-uh. She said, the best yet to come. Mom brought out the coconut cake, put it on her plate. That young girl died in her 20s. When the pastor came around to preach the funeral there, laid out in the casket, was that young girl, and in her hand was fork. And her mama said that's how she wanted to be buried. Because she wanted to remind the world that the best was yet to come. See, in order to live victorious over discouragement, you got to quit looking at this world. You got to quit looking at people. If you find your encouragement from people, listen to me now. If you find your encouragement from people, then they'll discourage you too. If you find your encouragement from things, then they will discourage you too. If you find your encouragement from wealth, then it will discourage you too. But if you find your encouragement from the Lord, you'll never have any discouragements because He never fails and He never comes short. And Paul said, we patiently wait for it. It's the groaning of the Christian. But then let me give you this right here. I got to get done. There's the groaning of the comforter. Look at verse 25. He said there, but if we hope for that that we see not, then do we wait with patience for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now that's interesting. Not only is creation under the strain, groaning. Not only are Christians under the strain, groaning, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is groaning. Isn't it interesting that the activity of the Spirit in the last days is groaning? I'm telling you, there's a whole message in just this right here. Think about, first of all, His association with with His people. Why? I want you to think about this. Why would the Holy Spirit groan? Now this is very interesting. There's only one time in your Bible where Jesus ever groaned. And that's in John 11. When Jesus walks up to the tomb of Lazarus, he groans. And then when they take him near the tomb, he groans. It's the only time in your Bible where Jesus ever groaned. In other words, the only time Jesus ever groaned was when his people were heartbroken. 
and discouraged and down and didn't feel like going on and felt like quitting and felt like throwing in the towel and accused him of all kinds of things. That was when Jesus groaned. In other words, when his people were groaning, he was groaning. Now in these last days, we find out that the Spirit's groaning. You know why the Spirit of God is groaning? Because you're groaning, honey. You're groaning, and He has that kind of connection with you. So when you're under, good grief, I want to run and shout. When you're under the load and when you feel like you can't make it and you're groaning, thank God the Spirit of God is groaning there with you. Uh, hey man, He's in there with you. You may not understand it or realize it, uh, but the Spirit is groaning in there with you. Now watch this. There's not only the association with his people. But in verse 26, there's the approach. There's an approach to the throne room. Look what he said. In verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Woo! You talk about help, honey. When you're groaning, when you're down, when the pressure's on, when you don't know how to pray, I'm glad the Spirit of God leans in there with you and He's a groaning too. And He's making intercession according out of the will of God. And He's helping your prayers. He's a boosting them up to heaven. He's getting them up there. Oh boy. And sometimes you don't even realize it's a happening. Sometimes you don't even know it's happening. But the Spirit of God is in there groaning alongside you. When I walk in all down and out and discouraged and my head's held low, the Holy Spirit is groaning. I don't know how to pray. Sometimes, can I be honest with you, I neglect to pray. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. But in them times, the Holy Spirit (laughs) is taking me before the throne room, taking me before the Son on the right hand of God. You want to live in victory over discouragement? When you're low, realize that the Holy Spirit is right in there with you, honey. That word comforter, it literally means to pull alongside to lift up. Oh my goodness. There's an association with these people. There's the approach to the throne room. But let me give you this right here and I'm going to be done. There's the assurance of good. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So that's the most famous verse in Romans 8. Everybody quotes that verse. This is the one verse everybody quotes. But when you consider this verse in its actual context, boy, it means something totally different. 
Because the picture that Paul has painted is that the whole world is discouraged, groaning. And the Christian is discouraged, groaning. And the Spirit is pulled in there alongside the Christian, and he's groaning. But Paul said, I want you to remember one thing, church. All things work together for good. You may not be able to put your finger on it. You may not be able to understand it. But somehow, it's all working out for good. When you're discouraged, whatever that problem is, whatever that trouble you're facing, God said somehow, it works out for good. Now, verse 30 is one of the favorites. Verse 29 and 30, one of the favorites to the Calvinists. But it don't even, it's not even talking about foreknowledge of salvation. Look what he said in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed unto the image of his Son. Now when you consider that in the context of the rest of this chapter, nowhere in this chapter is Paul talking about salvation. That don't have anything to do with salvation. It has to do with suffering and discouragement. Paul said, for whom he did foreknow, he also did be predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's the thought. I'm right now done. I'm going to give an altar call. Here's what God's saying. He's saying that suffering that you're belly aching about and you're so discouraged over, you know what I'm doing with it in your life? I'm making you more like my son. I said I'm making you more like my son. I'm making you more like my son. To be conformed unto the image of the son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Give me the next verse, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Here's what he's saying, church. Not only is this world has a better day of coming, but you got a better day of coming. He said, I'm making you through suffering. I'm making you through things that you're getting discouraged over, through trials that you don't understand. I'm working it out to your good. You'll see it one of these days, the benefit in it. And when it happens, guess what? It's going to be for your glorification. I'm going to close this right here. Look here, I'm, I'm closing up. And I probably should have asked permission to tell it before I got started, but here we are and I'm telling it anyhow. When Rachel and I first got married, we had a group of pastors that took me into a storage building over there next to, um, over there next to uh, Andy's filling station where they were running the Christian school and asked me if I'd like to be the principal of the Christian school. I said, oh boy, yeah, sure. Sounds great. I mean, I, that was dumb. I was 18 years old. Principal of a Christian school? Well, what could go wrong? And so I took it. And uh, Summer was one of my kids and Cody. Can you believe that? I mean, that shows you how young I was that I had them for kids in school. Okay? And they'll tell you, I didn't care if they learned anything. I wanted to play football. I wanted, I wanted recess time. That's all I cared about. So I was like, just get your work done so we can go outside. Quicker y'all get done, quicker we can go outside and play. It was a disaster. Rachel and I run headlong right at the very beginning of our 
years of ministry into a bunch of angry parents. And you ain't never faced wrath until you faced wrath of angry parents. And so we lasted about a year and a half, and I got, I felt like at the time just done dirtier and a dog, and I quit, and I thought, that no good can ever, I just wasted a year and a half of my life. No good will ever come out of that. No good. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't hate them youngins, but I didn't like them. I was like, I'm done with every last one of them. Hope I'll never see them again. Out of here. See ya. But you know what? Now looking back on that, there's so many things that I went through in a, as a young preacher and learned lessons. And you know what I found out? It was for my good. He was working it out for my good. And who would have ever have dreamed that, whatever it is, 20 years later, I'd be pastoring some of that same crew. I never would have dreamed it. But here we are, and pastoring, I had Matt too, pastoring some of that same crew that I had as kids at the Christian school. And at that time, it seemed like an absolute disaster. Rachel and I'd lay in bed at night and cry ourselves to sleep. Why? Why? Why are we going through this? But he was working it for good. That was some of the most discouraged days of our life. But God had a plan in it. Now, I don't know what you're going through. But I'm just here to tell you, you can't have victory over the discouragement of it. I'm not going to tell you, you may have cancer, God may not heal your cancer. You may have family trouble, and the family trouble may not get better this afternoon. You may have financial trouble, and there's not going to be $1,000 laying in your vehicle when you go out. I, I ain't Joel Olstein. But what I, what I can tell you is that you can't have victory over the discouragement it's bringing you. Amen. Amen. Because while you're groaning, and while creation is groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning too. Amen. Amen. Let's stand our feet. Father, Lord, we need you today. No doubt the Word of God has spoken to some hearts. Folks that are here this morning may be discouraged over things in their life. And while you may not take away what they're discouraged over, Lord, they can't have victory over the discouragement. And I pray that you do that in their hearts today. Help us, Lord, to not look at people and places and things, but look at you. And bless us now as only you can, and we'll thank you for it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, some are already in the altar. You say, preacher, today I... What you was talking about was just exactly what I was thinking about. I just get so discouraged. I just think about this and that, and boy, it gets me down. But I know when I'm discouraged that the Holy Spirit, while I'm groaning, the Holy Spirit's groaning. I want, I want victory. I want victory, freedom from this nagging discouragement in my heart. Folks gathering around the autumn all over the building. I'm glad God knows what he's doing. He knows the message to send. Why don't you come? God deals your heart. Why don't you come?
Lord, around this altar this morning are gathered some of the greatest of my church folk. People that are near and dear to my heart. But Lord, they like me, often days face discouragement. Lord, would you encourage them today? Lord, would you help them to look at you? Lord, not look at circumstances, not look at things, and not look at material things. But Lord, just look towards you, the author and finisher of our faith. Consider you. Lord, we think about the Holy Spirit groaning during these days and creation groaning during these days. But Lord, we're encouraged to know that our case is being presented before the very throne of God today. And Lord, the best is yet to come. It's not over. This ain't it. And whatever we're going through right now, somehow you're going to work it out to our good. Lord, I pray that you'd bless each one that's gathered around this altar. Help us, Lord, to trust you in days we don't understand. We'll thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You stay till you get done. I bless the Lord. Mandy had posted there yesterday on Facebook. Maybe I get it kind of right. If you keep your face toward the sun, the shadows always hit you back. I seen that. I said, you know, that goes along good with my message. So my encouragement to you and you leave the church house today would be to keep your face toward the sun. 